This is the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, a podcast brought to you by two physical therapists devoted to helping physical therapists and other healthcare providers become better educators to patients, students, the community, and each other by interviewing prominent and passionate people within the realms of healthcare and education. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast is intended literally for educational and entertainment purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based on only one source, and therefore, this podcast should not be used as personal medical advice. While care has been taken to ensure accuracy, occasionally, mistakes and factual errors can be present, as we are only human. This is our journey on the road to becoming better educators, so get ready with your pen and paper as class is about to begin. This is the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm Brandon Pollan. And of course, as always, I am joined by my awesome co-host, F. Scott Veal. And today we have a very special guest joining us. Now, today's guest is a CEU instructor within the Mulligan concept of manual therapy, uh, who I've had the pleasure of learning from when I took the upper quarter Mulligan course in Indianapolis earlier in this year, and who I've remained in contact with throughout that time. And, and some things that really stuck out to me about Eric as an instructor was that his message was very easy to understand. He's humorous and engaging, which definitely helps. He's open to discussion and new technique modifications. He's very approachable. And he really truly does advocate for an eclectic approach. So Eric Dinkins is a graduate from the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center and has been practicing since 2001. He has earned postgraduate certifications in manipulative therapy and is a certified Mulligan practitioner with the Mulligan concept of manual therapy. He earned his board certification as an orthopedic clinical specialist through the American Physical Therapy Association. He is a credentialed instructor from the North American Mulligan Concept Teachers Association as well. Eric has an extensive sports medicine background and has worked closely with physicians from the Stedman Hawkins Clinic in Denver, and he has treated athletes from youth to Olympic and professional levels. He is a published author and was a keynote speaker at the International Mulligan Conference in 2009, and his other clinical interests include treatment for restless leg syndrome and utilizing the motion guidance system to improve visual feedback and rehabilitation. He is currently a physical therapist at Select Physical Therapy in Castle Rock, Colorado, and when he's not practicing, he enjoys spending time with his family, mountain biking, and playing guitar. Nice touch. So Eric, thanks a lot for coming on the show and for all your work as a CEU teacher and I realized that I kept your bio relatively brief in the intro, but you know, was there anything that you'd like our audience to know about you that I didn't mention? Well, first off, Brandon and uh, Scott, really appreciate the opportunity to come on your podcast and uh, getting to know you guys a little bit uh, recently and uh, just appreciate the opportunity. But um, yeah, apart from the things you already opened with, um, I'm also the uh, part owner of Motion Guidance um, LLC. And uh, I was born actually in New Jersey, and I've been living out in Colorado since I was about 18 months old. My parents moved out there when I was uh, just a wee babe, and they asked me if I wanted to come, and I said, well, shoot, I got nothing else to do, so I'll just come along with. Um, but it's nice because I travel back east to teach every once in a while. When I'm in New Jersey, I totally claim the rights of being uh, uh, from that area, and when I'm not in New Jersey, I just kind of let it go. So <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you, man. I do the same thing with New York. You know, I, it'll always be home, you know, but, uh, it's nice to, to be able to pick up and leave sometimes too. 
Absolutely. You have people ask, you know, well, where are you from? And it's like, well, it doesn't matter because everything's off the turnpike. You know, you just kind of <laughs> yep. drive off yep. the same road and you'll find it eventually. You know? Exactly. Well, Eric, uh, for our audience of student physical therapists and, and physical therapists who maybe aren't aware of the Mulliken concept, uh, do you think you could give us your 30 second to one minute elevator pitch on what the Mulligan concept is? Oh, definitely. So um, in a nutshell, the Mulligan concept is pain-free options in, in physical therapy. We're drawing from various uh, mechanisms and inputs um, that actively engages the patient uh, during the treatment sessions, um, and it's otherwise known as mobilization with movement to a lot of people. Cool. No, awesome. And Eric, do you think you could tell our listeners a little bit about your journey into how you got into teaching for the Mulligan Concept Teachers Association and kind of how that all started? Uh, so my um, first influence from uh, mobilization with movement came directly from Brian Mulligan um, himself. Way back in uh, 2004, he was in Colorado. I was looking to take some continuing ed, um, further my education those first two to five years after being out of PT school. And um, he had an advanced course uh, of the Mulligan concept actually at that time coming in, and I'd never taken a class. So I got a little bold and I stepped out and I emailed him directly and I said, hey, can I sit in? But I've never taken any of these techniques, but I'm super interested. And since you're coming into my hometown, can I sit in with you? So um, he said yes and uh, gave me the thumbs up. And uh, me and one of my uh, colleagues that I was working with at the time, we both went and, um, you know, we sat down. It was um, just kind of mind blowing in a way. I mean, first thing you'll notice from from Brian Mulligan is he just has a a ton of um, enthusiasm for, for rehab and for life in general. Um, but he was kind of breaking all the rules of the stuff that I was learning in uh, PT school, to be honest. And we were going through a bunch of special tests and we were looking at uh, weaknesses as a, as a deficit, not, not necessarily as things like inhibition. And we're, everything was centered around pain, painful structures and painful in, in ranges and things that weren't moving well. And uh, Brian introduced things in front of us that, uh, you know, it's kind of blown me away. They didn't make any sense, to be honest. And I was working with an orthopedic group um, that we thought we did things pretty well. We saw 80% knees and shoulders, and um, we worked heavily with doctors and with athletes, and people got better. And um, the things that Brian was showing us, they didn't necessarily fit the model uh, that we were uh, treating under because we were geared all toward the um, the limitations and not the, the not the possibility of taking those away during functional activities. So after I got done with that class, I definitely wanted more. So I went on and I took uh, more courses that uh, were offered through the Mulligan concept and um, became a certified Mulligan practitioner in 2007, a few years later, which all that really did was show that I had some competence in the area and it gave me a, an avenue to be a referral source uh, in Colorado for people who were seeking out those techniques. And I stayed around the concept and I, I went to nine other courses after that, just kind of being around the teachers and seeing how it was taught. And sure enough, every time I'd go, I'd, I'd learn something new or, oh, I'd forgotten about that. Or, man, that opened my eyes to a different way of, of being able to, to teach. And eventually there was a need for more um, instructors as the concept kept growing. Um, and there was more need of, you know, instructors kind of moving in and out of the of different areas and I became a part of the Mulligan Concept Teachers Association in 2014. And so for the past uh, three and a half years now, I've um, been working with the concept and uh, just really enjoy it. Yeah, Eric, for, for those of us who have never done any CEU teaching, 
Could you maybe walk us through the entire process of what that entails? Maybe from like how you're selected to do a course, uh, the travel and lodging, the class prep, teaching the class, and then like after CEU reflections and things like that. Could you just kind of walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's definitely a lot more involved uh, than just uh, you know putting something up on a on a website or or sending out some emails. Um, and getting things going. I mean, definitely with social media and website access, you have to have that piece um, going behind that. Um, when uh, I get selected to do a course, because I teach uh, through our organization uh, privately, I also teach through some some contract stuff and, and some other things. You know, you got to get that uh, that personal contact in there. Um, and once you're selected. Um, to, to do a course, there's a contract that goes into that and making sure that everybody's on the same page and some money's up front to reserve the date and the slot and then uh, establishing that the venue is, um, is going to work for how many people that they want um, and whether they have appropriate uh, audio-visual equipment. And I personally tend to uh, uh, travel with my own uh, projector and it's a lamp-free thing so I don't have to worry about that going out anymore. It's super compact. Um, and that uh, travels real easily and that makes me feel better about, you know, getting to classes prepared. Um, but you know, you have to gather all the emails, you got to, um, get all the paperwork together. You got to mail stuff out and make sure it gets there. You have to establish, uh, travel dates and times that, uh, if something was going to be delayed, uh, getting to, let's say Indianapolis, cause that's where I met Brandon. Um, you know, I got to make sure that my flight options are at least a th- uh, there's a few more options after the one that I choose because if uh, one of those gets hung up and delayed, then I can't get to the course. You know, there's uh, different types of course preps and then making sure that I can get the certificates ready for those people that actually complete the whole weekend course um, and show up. And then, <laughs> then you got the unexpected of people who cancel in the last week and how do you handle those people and, you know, people who didn't show up on day of and <laughs> what happens with that. Um, it's, I've always wanted to teach since I got out of school and it's, uh, it's just brilliant for me. Um, I, I really love it and I'm blessed to be able to do it, but it definitely comes with, uh, uh, some of its hassles and it's, um, it stresses along with it for sure. Yeah, Eric, I think that's a really interesting take and really good for our audience to hear. And and I'm kind of curious when you have someone who cancels or doesn't show in that regard, does, does like Mulligan have a policy that you guys use or is that more up to the CEU teacher's discretion or how does that process work then if that were to happen? So currently the MCTA and a couple other organizations that we work with, we're we're willing to um, take late cancels and not do refunds, but give credit for future future courses. Um, and that's going to be within uh, six months of the course that they were they were kind of canceling for. Um, if they are canceling 30 days or more uh, before the start of the course, they're just automatically refunded uh, that money and we open that slot back up. But there are considerations for you know courses that are getting close to selling out or that they do sell out. Um, we want those slots available for the people who can make it and people cancel for a variety of reasons. And most people are very sincere about it. Um, and they want to, uh, you know, continue to, uh, make a course in some place or they want to switch courses to an, another facility. And we try to accommodate that as much as possible. Um, and usually we don't run into any, uh, you know, significant, um, pushback on those things. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Eric, from your, from your perspective in the organization, what are some things that Mulligan is looking to change um, to their upcoming courses and such um, to improve? 
that's a that's a great question because we're always looking to improve um, our product in the sense of delivery for people. So one of our our big directives uh, in the past couple of years is uh, name branding and and marketing and trying to get more words out there for what we're doing. Um, probably the the biggest thing that I hear from people when they come to a mulligan course is, oh, I saw this one technique in uh, PT school, or I saw this one technique that one of my coworkers was using, and it worked, you know, really well. So I, would, I just wanted to come and learn a few more techniques, and and techniques are great, um, and and a lot of the techniques in the mulligan concept work really well, and some of them have been researched uh, and are you know very good techniques to follow based on the literature, things like uh, cervicogenic dizziness and uh, distal fibular stuff for the ankle and, and that sort of thing, but, um, and lateral epicondylasia. Um, however, you know, the concept is not about uh, a group of techniques. It's about, uh, uh following certain, uh, guidelines, which include uh, pill, um, which is an acronym for pain-free or symptom-free, uh, immediate result and long lasting. And then finding a way to make that fit the person that's in front of you and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work and you move on. And we have a variety of um, avenues and things to look for and techniques of how to uh, accomplish that, such as communicating with your patient right out of the gate about what to expect, doing repetitions, applying overpressures where you can, having knowledge about the area, um, how to sustain environmental changes through large functional ranges of motion, and then just some expectations for therapy. Um, so we have to get that, that message out um, to what we're trying to do because most people don't have these skills um, in clinic. They don't know how to go for uh, symptom elimination versus uh, creating pain in what they do. Um, and that's, that's probably our, our biggest forefront about what we're doing and also uh, how to talk about mechanisms, how different mechanisms influence different people all the way from psychological things and contextual effects to neurophysiological effects to biomechanical effects and things like that. Yeah, social media and, and branding and even rebranding and getting your information out there. I mean, that's definitely becoming more and more important nowadays for sure. Um, Eric, what do you think are some of the pros for working for a major international CEU company? Oh, there's a, there's a long list uh, for sure, Scott. So, if I can condense it down, there's probably uh, the big ones are going to be collaboration. Um, so working with a major, major organization, an international one, um, we get to understand cultural differences around the world very easily. We get to work with different uh, dynamics and different inputs uh, very easily. So that creates a broad uh, vision for what we want to accomplish as an organization. Um, therefore, you have a lot of support. Uh, that'd probably be the next one uh, that I put in line. You know, we have people who have, uh, you know, gotten sick, people who have um, had illness in the family that have not been able to go to courses and we can find replacements for them um, so that people uh, don't have to, you know, go without uh, or have their life be stressed out because a course needed to change. We, we can accommodate that as a big organization. Um, we can also have a delegation. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces and puppet strings that need to go on uh, with a major organization with continuing education, a lot of responsibilities from the branding and marketing side to uh, getting the current research uh, implemented into what you're trying to do for us um, as an organization and establishing changes over time. And so you need to be able to delegate certain things away. And so working for a, a major international uh, continuing education company allows us to do that mostly seamlessly, sometimes not, sometimes you, you can't get enough. But um, um, yeah, that's uh, 
Um, but those are a couple big ones. And I probably also put in there just representation while social media allows us to get our fingers out there very quickly in different ways, such as uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and the, and the like, um, you still have to have that personal representation wherever you go. Um, you know, learning styles differ so much between people. Um, you have to accommodate that. And some of that's being in your face in real time. Some people don't learn that well and they can't transfer the information by just learning it off a of video. Um, some people can do that very, very well. So we have that representation piece that I've really uh, enjoyed for the last uh, three and a half years. Yeah, Eric, those are some interesting points on that. And it's good to know. And of course, now I got to go the other way and ask you, what are some of the cons for working for a major international CEU company? <laughs> well, there are always challenges when you're working with uh, enough hogs in the trough that want to be the big boy, right? So you always have uh, egos. Um, that you have to kind of work through. And, you know, once you're around uh, different teachers for a while, it seems like family. And I think everybody can relate that uh, that family can get its challenges for sure. But at the end, you're still family and you, uh, you tend to try to work through those things. So um, thinking about, you know, differences of opinion and directions that we want to go, um, that could be very challenging to get stuff done in a hurry. Um, some people like to, uh, you know, like to kind of sit to where they are and what they know has worked for a long time. And then some people have different vision for what's getting done. And so probably the, the con for working with, uh, the, the largest con for working with a major, um, uh, international CU company is just working through those differences in a timely manner, um, to be able to adapt to the, to the shifts that we have going on. Uh, and some of them end up being paradigm shifts that you have to adapt to fairly quickly. And that can be a, a little bit of a limiting factor from a speed standpoint. Yeah, just just like any company, the more it grows, the more kind of corporate feel it gets to it, and a lot of a lot of ladders steps to kind of get through and work through in order to get things changed in a timely manner, for sure. Yes. So, Eric, uh, do you think you could tell our audience a little bit about the salary aspect and the financial incentives that you get for for being a CEU teacher um, in the Mulligan Concept Teachers Association? I mean, you know, uh, is that something that you could turn into a full-time career out of? Is it something that, you know, people mainly do just on the side or, or how does that work? What, what's the setup like? The MCTA, as far as a, a setup, all of our clinicians are still... Uh, or teachers, excuse me, are, are still clinicians. Um, so they're still actively treating on a, on a regular basis. They're not, they're not just uh, teaching full time. That it can be very lucrative depending on how you, uh, you know, set up your, your business and do a lot of things privately and market yourself um, or working through, um, you know, different uh, outside contractor companies. The MCTA currently has a contract with uh, Northeast Seminars. And uh, so we work with them a little bit. So the clinicians are, are usually still in practice uh, for the MCTA. Now, as far as how that might um, set up uh, with our organization versus uh, some other organizations, um, as far as like the, the McKenzie or, um, you know, th things like that, I can't really speak to that because I don't know them. But I do know from uh, networking myself with other people, there are different types of structures that people can use for um, as, as an instructor for CEU classes. So, uh, for example, you can use a, a fee per participant where it's a flat rate in order to uh, sign up and um, teaching privately. You, we're going to standardize that hey, every, every teacher has an equal say um, or an equal chance to uh, you know, not undercut another. So we say it's going to be you know, X amount of dollars when we teach uh, per participant. And if you're a host, 
Um, every certain number of participants, you might get a little uh, kickback as a free free pay, uh, participant slot. Um, I've also seen some set honorariums um, where, hey, we'll, we'll do all the footwork and we'll set this up for you um, to be uh, uh, established at this particular uh, facility. We'll help you get in through this airport and uh, help you with uh, this car to get you to this location. Um, but you're going to make X when you get there and they take all the rest of the profits. So um, that's not a bad setup from a standpoint of just, you know, being able to stress free, have your presentation, make sure they have the content and you show up and teach. Um, and a lot of people like that setup because um, they don't have uh, you know, a lot of extra time with other things going on in their life to be able to, uh, you know, um, spend a lot of time doing some marketing and branding. Um, you also have some, some things that other uh, people are doing that they have a set honorarium and then everything after that is a 50-50 split uh, between the host um, and the, the instructor. So you have um, some people out there who are actually giving you know, the opportunity for the, the host facility to uh, have revenue um, from, from getting that CEU course, getting a popular instructor in there um, and uh, you know, get to participants uh, in the door. With the MCTA, we already have a set fee uh, per participant is how we work it with ours. So, um, you know, that that's not going to change. That's going to be the same for all the instructors in the Mullen Concept Teachers Association. Um, when you set up uh, things privately, though, and if uh, you were to um, do different things, uh, maybe even on uh, different topics, um, you're you know, at, uh, at the mercy of how popular you think your course is going to be and how much draw you might get. Um, so that's where uh, some of the honorarium splits of, of revenue have become a little bit more popular. Uh, but that's set up um, initially, and that's part of the contract. And, you know, small money downs is, is usually the way that goes. Um, and I've even talked to some instructors with different uh, techniques and different um, organizations um, that that honorarium is set apart from travel fees and all that sort of stuff and other people that's kind of included in all that. So um, to each their own on some of those situations. Yeah, sure. enough. fair enough. So Eric, there's probably, we know that there's a lot of people, you know, from new students, new grads, or even practicing clinicians that want to get more into teaching in some regard. But, you know, for those that are considering teaching CEUs or considering going down that road, um, what are some questions that someone should ask themselves to see if C teaching CEU courses is right for them or not? Well, you definitely have to be prepared for a change in lifestyle. Um, there's a definite financial uh, draw that people can see up front. Um, but you got to be willing to travel and you have to be willing to dedicate yourself to what you're going to teach and be in constant review. Um, the time, the preparation, the, the post course um, certifications, um, maybe even being able to go out and uh, try to get on like the pro cert list, um, being able to you know dedicate time to marketing, understand how much printing can be in a one lump sum up front, um, you know, understanding uh, how to you know talk with uh, hosts. I mean, all those things uh, for, for those, you know, some of those communication skills that you have to have, um, not everybody has those. And some people think that they have those and um, they, they kind of get into it. And it's like, hey, maybe I don't want to do this as much as I thought I would. Um, definitely from personal experience for my first three and a half years, I mean, it turned into, you know, there were enough opportunities to try to teach in various avenues that I had. I found myself being like, whoa, be a little careful what you ask for because, you know, I have uh, two fairly young kids. I have to make sure that uh, they're still my priority along with uh, keeping my wife happy and, uh, you know, getting home uh, 
late on a Sunday or sometimes early Monday morning and going to to uh, work on on Monday morning at seven is not the uh, the most fun lifestyle out there. While it's a a nice payday sometimes on a weekend, um, there are definitely some things that you have to account for uh, being committed to teaching um, in the uh, CEU arena. Yeah, that's that's a great insight on that, Eric. I, I I don't think people realize how much really goes into the time on things unseen aside from just teaching the course. Um, but what would you say are some of the most valuable lessons uh, in regards to teaching that you've learned as a result of your experience? Definitely some of those valuable lessons are uh, you, you can't go in with a game plan of how you're going to teach or expect how things are going to go. Um, you, d- you definitely are going to have an outline of, of how you want things to go, um, but you have to be willing to commit to the people that are in your room, uh, the people that are in front of you that you're trying to impart knowledge on. So part of that is making sure that your knowledge is current and that you are presenting in that as much of a non-biased way as possible. Um, at times being critical of things that you're teaching as well as things that are already being done out there uh, in the real world. Um, so you, you have to come in with a, uh, with a little bit of an open mind, an open feel, a willingness to uh, deviate from the structure, but also stay on time. And that, that, uh, that takes a little bit of, of a dance sometimes, you know, and so sometimes I find myself um, not eating much lunch so that people can, you know, practice techniques and ask questions, staying late on, a, uh, on the first or second day, um, just to be able to answer questions and make sure people uh, understand what they're getting out of the class. I, I really believe in what uh, we teach in the Mulligan Concert, Concept Teachers Association. I think it's a, a phenomenal approach to both assessment and treatment of an individual. And I'm so passionate about it. I need to make sure that people are uh, conveyed that passion. And if they're not getting it, I need to dedicate more time. So um, the most valuable lesson um, is definitely, you know, keeping, uh, keeping myself accountable uh, to the things that I'm teaching to others. Yeah, no, I think those are some good points in there. And it's, it's, it's really true. I mean, you can tell, I mean, I've taken a few courses as well, and you can tell who's, you can tell who's got the passion and who doesn't pretty quickly within the first few minutes of the opening lecture. <laughs> I think, like you said before, I think that passion and being able to really adapt, I mean, have an outline, but being able to adapt to your audience and staying current. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's very true and that holds accurate. And I, and you're right. And, you know, I've only taken, the upper and the lower quarter mulligan course. I've not taken advanced yet. I'd like to in the near future, but you know, I really have found that this method really is very helpful adjunct. And you're right. It's not, it's not the bile end all. I mean, there's way more that goes into treating a patient than just techniques. It's, that's just one part of it, but there are definitely some definite pros to this um, concept that are unique compared to others. And it's, some of the techniques are just absolute winners. Like, I think I messaged you after I first learned the lateral, epicon, uh, lateral epicondylitis one. I was like, oh, my God, that made, that made wonders for this one client of mine who I wasn't getting significant fast results with. And it just, what a difference. I was like, holy yeah. cow. Yeah, and that's, that's one of our most, uh, you know, researched uh, techniques. And it's, um, it's just a strong consideration, just like uh, with everything. I mean, it, uh, but I think you said it pretty well, you know, Brandon, you're not going to find anything that works for everybody. I'm out there, but if you're you're willing to commit to a certain thought process of what you want to get done, uh, you're going to find some some drastically changed uh, outcomes in your clinic. Yeah, and I love too how it's like you and the patient both know with that comparable sign 
whether it's making a difference or not and how you can modify. And that's probably my favorite pro to the mulligan technique. It's very fast, easy to apply in those directions, you know, to assess, but then you know right then and there. You don't have to go down and do a technique or something like that and get them up, do your comparable sign, and then kind of hope that it changed it. Uh, No more crossing your fingers if they uh, respond to the technique. You know, in real time, what you're trying to do and it, it, it actively engages that patient. They have to be part of the treatment session when we, when we treat them with mobilization with movement. They, they can't be just uh, passively taking it. Yeah, no, absolutely for sure. You know, Eric, kind of switching, switching topics here just a little bit. You know, you're also, you've, as you mentioned before in the intro, you're the, co- you're the founder of uh, Motion Guidance. Uh, do you think you could tell our audience about what Motion Guidance is? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can also find all this information at motionguidance.com on the internet. But uh, we're a visual feedback company, um, which gives you immediate feedback uh, by being able to put a laser on any body part um, to understand what movement is happening, whether it's limiting that movement or uh, promoting more movement. Um, we have a full clinician kit that we've put together uh, that includes uh, multiple targets and uh, three different flags and hooks to be able to hang it anywhere in your clinic with suction and sticky hooks and different belts and mounts, um, a full carrying case. You get two lasers uh, you know, and uh, recharge uh, batteries that go um, onto that kit um, in the sense that we, we give you extra so they'll, they'll last you for a long time and we get, uh, fully support our product so we have a full warranty. But um, what I started noticing uh, over time, and there was a lack of um, awareness from my patient because they weren't getting that visual feedback and motions that they were doing. Visual-based learning is 40% of the learning style that's out there. In classically and physical therapy, we're using a lot of kinesthetic awareness and a lot of auditory cues, and we're not getting a lot of visual stuff going along with that. So my business partner, Tal Blair, he, uh, when he was doing a residency with me years and years and years ago, he just came up initially with the idea of, uh, you know, getting lasers pointers somehow on the body to, to help us as clinicians understand the movements better uh, that people were getting. And it's just developed into a phenomenal product right now. Um, and we're just super excited about it. We're on par this year to be double what we were last year in 2016 and establishing relationships. And it's just a, it's just a wonderful device. Cool, for sure. And you have it for different body parts and stuff, right? Like, you know, neck, um, knees, and, and such. Is that correct, Eric? Correct, yeah. We, the, the different size belts that we have in there, you can, you can put it on a head cradle, you can put it on a, a wrist and a forearm, you can put it on a knee. Um, the design is a ball and socket mount. So we have two different mounts that uh, with the ball and socket allow you to get, uh, acquire any angle um, that you need to assess. And it's a, a super mobile but also super rigid platform. Um, so that uh, allows it to not move even with acceleration activities uh, or whether a person is just doing more static type of things. Uh, it's a reliable device. And, uh, yeah, you can, you can put it anywhere. Cool. And that certainly seems, you know, logical when, I, when, you, when you explain that. But, you know, I'm kind of curious, Eric, you know, do you know of any of the big research that what they say about kind of the, the visual feedback and stuff? I mean, granted, I realize that's probably very specific to the region condition and such. I, I, I totally realize that. But is there any big research that you know of that really seems to really point in the favor of visual guided um, systems like this? Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, we have things that are specific, like what you're saying. Um, so as far as joint position sense air in the neck after uh, whiplash, we have strong joint position sense uh, airs there. We have uh, strong joint position sense airs for chronic low back pain. Um, things that, um, you know, people can't feel and they don't know they're existing and sometimes even tougher for a clinician to uh, be able to diagnose. 
Um, we know that happens with certain shoulder conditions um, as well, and definitely at the knee, uh, status post ACL um, injury, proprioceptive deficits. As far as visual learning goes, you have to incorporate it. There's some studies out there that say uh, visual dominance on motor learning can be up to 92% on complex tasks um, for learning and holding retention. Um, Gabby Wolf has done a lot of things out of uh, you know, the University of Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, or um, um, understanding external feedback. Um, so a, a laser out in front of you gives that automatic external focus on what you're doing and draws things away from the body. And we know that that improves motor learning and retention. Um, so there's a lot of things that are incorporated into the device besides just, Hey, putting a laser out there. And I've actually done, um, multiple, uh, uh webinars now that you can find on that website at uh, motionguidance.com and, uh, go in there and I have all the current literature on that stuff. And they're just meant to be information for people. And, um, that's a, a nice valuable resource if you need to go seek that out. Yeah. Very cool, Eric. I, I love the the idea of using the the lasers for that. That I think it's a cool training tool, and it definitely helps the patient uh, kind of visualize it too. For sure. Um, we like to wrap up each episode with this question, um, and we'd love to get your intake on this. But if you could change one aspect of higher education, DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change, and how would you change it? And there's a lot of a lot of need for for change out there. You know, I, I'd have to say that um, the first thing that comes to mind would be cost. Um, if we can figure out a way to to lessen the debt load coming out of advanced programs in schools, we have to be able to figure that out. I mean, we have we have uh, PT students coming out in my area. They're about to get married to each other, and they're both looking at six figures. Uh, you know, debt that they each acquired and they're going to bring that together for a family. So especially in Colorado, I mean, that's a, that's an, you're starting out with an easy house payment. It's not going to go away very quickly. And some of the the regional areas that, uh, you know, the the salary based things, it doesn't accommodate for that over time. I mean, it's uh, you you don't get even, even in that for, for 20, 30 years. So, you know, inside of that is that our training doesn't make us super specialized coming out. We still have to get even more information coming out of that. Um, I know some schools have tried to, you know, develop ways to lessen that cost by going with a a mixed program of three years undergrad and then three years grad. If you're going to the same school, you just transition right through. So they kind of give you credit for that and that lessens it or, um, uh, our local program at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center, they have an internship program now. So they've taken the last four months of graduate studies um, and they've put people in clinic and it's going to be a paid position in clinic for the last four months. And then that lasts for another eight months of, of postgraduate work. Um, and that kind of blends the mentor modeling with a little lessening the debt and gives them a little bit of uh, money up front as well, sort of like a residency almost, but in a, in a different sort of uh, a program. But um, you know, we're constantly trying to improve our value in physical therapy, and we've been able to show that repetitively um, over time uh, with different conditions like uh, knee pain. And um, let's stop injecting lateral epicondylasia with with steroid, huh? I mean, the, the evidence is pretty overwhelming. We're not relying on imaging at first. Why why get an image just to protect yourself? You almost feel like it's more like we're the land of litigation, and that's why we get imaging rather than what's best for for the patient, for the cost of the healthcare system. So there's a lot of, of ties into that. And I, I know it's not a simple uh, answer, but yeah, that's, that's where I think we should start. We got, we got to figure out other ways to, 
to allow people to have this education without having to continue to work for it just to get even for, for a long period of time after they're done. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Eric. I think that's a very important issue that definitely needs to get looked at more to a degree. And but Eric, first of but you know, thanks for so much for coming on the show today, man, to provide your insight on your role of being a you know, CEU teacher within this company. And, you know, where can people find you online and on social media? Uh, so I personally have a, uh, a Twitter handle at, at MCTA underscore Eric. Um, you can find me there. I also have an at motion guidance handle uh, on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, I chose the Twitter account for the, the Mulligan Concept Teachers Association because it's a really quick thing that you can access on your phone. It's only 140 characters. You can't get sucked in too much unless you want to be um, versus some other platforms. You you know you can read paragraphs of information before you realize this is not for you. So um, that's kind of a quick hitter and that's where you can find me. Cool, Eric. Well, so, thank you so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. And, you know, maybe I'll see you at some point in the near future when I take the advanced. I don't know how it looks up because I know I was in the Midwest before now. And now that I'm on the East Coast now, that might change a little bit. <laughs> but, I mean, hey, we'll see what happens and we'll kind of go from there, man. That'd, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I appreciate the, the platform again and having me on. And I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thanks again, Eric. Appreciate your time. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, Extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.